this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Spirit, you speak to us, help us to have a clear mind to hear what you're saying, to have vision to see who you are, Lord Jesus, that we may know you more, that we may be filled with your spirit, that we can overflow with your love. When we've run out, as Chris has already shared, you've got extra love for us, amazing love. And so we receive that today, we receive what you're saying, and we catch your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. So yeah, we're doing this series, Today's True Temples. Have you had a good Mother's Day? I'm just going to mention it because my wife always hassles me on Mother's Day. Because one Mother's Day, which I've forgotten, was a long time ago. I actually went and got a massage. So we really saw that. And she always says, it's Mother's Day, you're going to get your Mother's Day massage today. But... Oh, she... She's claiming pregnancy as well, and I had to look after all these children. It's Mother's Day, I and mean, that's what we do. So. <laughs> we had a fun time. My wife is so amazing. She uh, is a very strong person and a lot of kids. So we're doing a temple that is sacred and called to holiness today. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are His temple that He chooses to dwell in, and we carry His presence which you might not understand or know about, but it's good news for you today. And as Chris already said, it, it, part of the call of, of that is that we would love people. And so my heart for you today is that um, you will really catch hold of the Holy Spirit, and so you catch hold of His love so that you can love people. And I'm going to come to you from a scripture in the Bible. It's not overly popular in today's culture, worldly culture. Um, it's from 1 Corinthians, and we'll start uh, chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 9. And Paul is confronting worldliness that is creeping into the church. Uh, previous to this, he's confronting them because they've got lawsuits and they've got arguments and they're not getting on. And he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, just settle down. This is not how it, it operates. And then he starts to confront them about immorality, uh, dr- getting drunk, um, people ripping people off, swindlers and, uh, and homosexuality. And so he confronts them with this, and I'm going to start in verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, which is fantastic news, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I heard a commentator, a a professing Christian minister say that this kind of scripture should actually be taken out of the Bible. uh, And the writer couldn't possibly have known um, what today's culture would have been like. So it's not, not really relevant, which is a little bit shocking if you understand the gospel because... The world doesn't actually hold to the Adam and Eve story or really understand what Jesus has done on the cross. And to bring 
the Word of God to a place of our own reasoning, of our own understanding, which is reasonably limited by our, our own little lives, uh, is, is a massive statement. And here we have Paul the Apostle, um, incredible person, persecuting Christians, putting them in jail, beating them, killing them, gets knocked off his high horse, has a vision of who Jesus is. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, it says that extraordinary miracles were done by the hand of Paul. Paul the Apostle, who actually at one point was taken to the third heaven, saw what the highest heaven, the throne of God, it says that he heard things that he couldn't explain. It doesn't say he could see things. It says he heard all this stuff. He, he see all this stuff that's going on, and here he wants to reduce this scripture to our own reasoning. But this guy is incredibly smart. And as Chris talked already about love and about the wedding, further on from this in this book, he writes one of the most profound, popular passages of scripture on the love of God. On, on love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's, it's read at a lot of weddings. Uh, and it is one of the most known passages so to pull out a passage of scripture because of worldly culture that says it's acceptable or not acceptable is not really what we're about and you've got to be careful and bring your reasoning to a place where maybe god is a little bit bigger than who i am and we don't pick and choose or sit with our reasoning or what is right or what is not right and uh, he's writing to this Corinthian church and, and all these issues are starting to creep into the church. I think the main issue that I've seen creep into a church is reasoning and somebody's sense of what is right and not right. And I don't think we have a real problem with fornication in this church and I have seen people come and counsel them at different times and I've seen people leave because they're having sex outside of marriage or uh, we had one guy join our church and he was living with his partner at the time and God really came on him. And he wanted to do the right thing, and we're going to get to the reasons why, but he went and lived with someone else, and then they got married, and they were members in their church for a long time, and then they went to another church. Um, but um, there, there is a, a way of Christ, and he's confronting these issues that are coming into the church, and they're the same. They're the same issues in the world today. They're, all this time ago, they're the same sort of conf worldly culture and worldly confrontations that are, are coming in. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, what has been will be again. There is nothing new under the sun. God doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He was the same at the beginning. And I mean the very beginning. He was there at the beginning. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And the only time God changes, the only time God changes is when you realise that God is something other than what you thought he was. That's the only time he changes. Because you realise, oh, he's, he's awesome. Oh, he's full of love. Oh, he actually loves me. Oh, he's not condemning me. That's the other guy. Oh, he is so good. That's when God changes. So let's move on. In The next one says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where God wants to be close to you. He wants you to receive the cross, what he has done by shedding his blood by being this perfect sacrifice to take away the stain that can't be taken away, the unseen stain of sin that is on every human being on the planet. And he comes as a perfect person to just take that, I'm going to take that away and I'm going to make you clean and then I'm going to give you someone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You are sanctified, you are set apart by the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes away your sins and then the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can know him 
and that you can overflow with God. He will teach you who God is. All right, let's go on to verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say. And that's what worldly culture says. I'm going to do whatever I want. You can do whatever you want. You have free will. And God won't mess with your free will. You have free choice. I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Now there's a season in front of all of us where you eat food, stomach. Um, I think there's going to be food, but I don't think there's going to be what happens after food. Um, there's a, a new season of life, spiritual life. You're going to have a spirit body. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm going to prepare a home for you. So there's a, a season of life in front of us. We're going to have a different body. So I'm going to work like this. So this body has desire, it has wants, it has needs. And he said, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. That's really good news. He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And he quotes a, a scripture from Genesis chapter 2. When God first created Adam and Eve, and he made Adam, and he said, this is awesome. This is really good. If you read it, he said, and God saw that it was good. And when he made Adam, he thought, and now it's very good. And then he made Eve. I mean, talk about save the best till last. I mean, that's what I think when I look at my wife. He definitely saved the best till last for that. And, uh, and, and so she was actually made a little bit different. He took a piece of him. And he made her, whereas he took dirt and breathed into it and made Adam. So if Adam was made out of the dirt, she was made out of a piece of Adam. She took out a piece of him. And so he unites them back together and, and, and the two will become one flesh. Now, worldly culture doesn't hold to this story. They don't see this story. So they can do whatever they want and they will do whatever they want. But we hold to this Adam and Eve story. And just after this is where sin comes into the world and I think that the devil went after Eve because she was stronger. I mean Adam was just easy. He was like, she made me do it. He had to really get into her. He you know, if I get her, he's done. No, I've got to get if I get her, I've got them both, you know? Like she was the, the strong one here. Like she was made out of something extra. And so Jesus actually quotes this same passage of scripture. And some Pharisees came to test him and they say to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And he says, Haven't you read? At the beginning, the Creator made them male and he made them female. And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another woman commits adultery. It's quite a high standard. 
It's quite a high line. But what I notice here is that Jesus has beginning perspective. He was there at the beginning. They were all there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They were all there at the beginning. They set the foundation of community in this unity of a man and a woman. And then, as Ruth said last week, he commanded them, go and be blessed, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That was the command that he gave to this, this communion, this marriage, this coming together. Now, the world, again, doesn't hold to this story to this unity is what we hold to and jesus says here he says in the beginning it was this way and so he has this foundation and if we jackhammer at the foundations which a lot of people had and a lot of guys that work for me that have had real problems have had broken parents like broken like the the father had haven't had fathers heaps of young guys uh, haven't had this this foundation of community. We, we think that you, know, you can do whatever you want, but if you break this up, this is what breaks up community. And so many people, so many of the young guys that are in jail, you go back, oh, how was your father? Well, he wasn't there, or he was really busy, or he was with, uh, it's, it's, a, it's like above 85% young guys in prison. It's like hectic. And the young guys that work for me, all the ones that haven't had a, uh, a father figure um, that, that I have to spend more time with them. I have to bring them through all the time. Sarah sort of laughs at me. She's like, Warren and the Lost Boys. Or, like, <laughs> the, the father to all these. <laughs> if I ever mention, like, you got daughter, you got four daughters, and I always want to have a son. So you got heaps of sons. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the older guys that I've got, even, even one of the oldest guys, and real, real broken, broken dude, broken relationships, this foundation of community that God set up right at the beginning. Um, and so the worldly sense for, for this is, is totally unreasonable. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, in verse in chapter 1, he says, For the message of, cross, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. It's the power of the gospel, the power of his love. And it's set up this way. And the world and the kingdom are heaven's Apart, literally, the heavens apart, and natural reasoning doesn't come in to the kingdom of God in this way. The world, the way the world thinks about it, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's not normal. It's not natural. He walked on water. He fed five thousand people with some fish and bread, and people came to hear what he said, and he healed them all. It's not natural thinking. I was reading the other day about Joshua. He's having this full-on battle and the, the day is getting on. And so he's just into this fight. And he looks up at the sun and he declares, sun stands still. And it says in the Bible that the sun stood still for another day, for a whole day. And the moon in one place. In one place. That's why it's called faith in Christ. Because it doesn't make sense in the natural. And you, you read through the Bible, all these interventions that God does, they're awesome. They're amazing. God is amazing. And He wants to be amazing and intervene in your life. And He wants to do it. He wants to make you clean through the cross, through what Jesus has done. And then He wants to show you who He is by the Holy Spirit. So... In verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against 
their own body, and that goes back to the foundation. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So he's reminding them, Jesus has done this. You used to be like this. Jesus has done this, and he's given you the Holy Spirit. You're a temple. Now, he could have said you're like a tent, or you're a house, or you're just a vessel. But he says temple, and it signifies this sacred life, this set-apart life that God wants to have with you. Uh, and in the Old Testament, they made this incredible temple. And it was for God, and God owned it, and God's presence came on it at the beginning. When Solomon made it and they dedicated it to him, God's presence came down, and the glory of God came into that place. And they made it. It was incredible. I mean, that, it was the first flat-packed thing ever. They, they did not use any chisels. They cut it all in a quarry, and then they transferred the stones and built the whole thing, and they made it. It was sacred. It was set apart for the use of God. They had garments, and they had a special recipe for the oil that they used, and they had utensils that were fashioned and made specific ways, and they were called sacred, which is set apart for God. They were for God's use. They were for God's use, and now we are sacred, we are set apart through Christ, we've been made holy and now we've been set apart for God's use. And sacred and holy doesn't mean that um, you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but if you connect yourself to Jesus, Jesus is perfect and when we receive what he's done and we receive the Holy Spirit, we participate in his divine nature. In his divine nature. It doesn't mean, mean that you won't make mistakes. We won't stuff up every now and then. But he's given us all that we need to live actually without sin. Because you'll have the Holy Spirit. If you've got to do something, if you've got to do something that's not of God, he's going to like tap on your shoulder. And he's very gentle. He's not the great commander. He's not the, you know, he wasn't sent as the commander. He was sent as the gift, as the comforter. And it's so important for us to tune our voice, uh, tune our hearts into his voice. So that we hear him because he is gentle, he's loving. He's full of life and joy too, by the way. He's exceedingly joyful dude. If I can say that about the Holy Spirit when you haven't said before. But he is incredibly joyful. And that's why it's so important just to connect with him, because it doesn't matter what you're going through, if you connect to the source of joy, it will give you strength to carry through whatever you're going through. But yes, he um made he has given us this set apart sacred life he's cleaned us up uh, when jesus was baptized the heavens opened and a dove came out of heaven again it doesn't make sense but everyone that was there saw it and it rested on it it was the holy spirit and then he was led out into the desert to be tempted by the devil uh, for 40 days fasting and he came out in the power of the holy spirit and he went and did all kinds of incredible miracles and he, at one point in early John, John chapter 2, he, um, he gets really offended. Jesus gets offended. I'm pretty sure he gets offended. Because he gets really angry with the way that they're operating in the Father's house, in the temple, this place that's supposed to house his presence. So he makes a whip. And can you imagine John just like getting really annoyed with Matt 
because of the way they're operating at youth. I'm going to slap this guy. I'm going to whip him, actually. Uh, but he makes a whip, and it's, it's actually in the place where the Gentiles are supposed to come in, and they've set up a market, so they're stopping what's supposed to happen, because they've got this market there, and they're selling doves, and they've got money and cattle, and he drives out all the cattle, he goes nuts and throws all the tables over, and he, he just clears the place out, and they come out, well, what authority do you do this? And he says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it again. And they're just thinking in the natural. They're just like, right, this, this temple has taken 40 years to build. How are you going to destroy it, let alone build it again in three days? And you just get frosty on a massive excavator. And then you know, maybe they're thinking that they've got the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe think, oh, he's pretty godly, this guy. Maybe fire's going to come out of heaven or that. Or they've had Nebuchadnezzar destroy the first one. Maybe he's thinking the Roman army. Like, just outside, they're still thinking in the natural, but he's obviously talking about himself. He's obviously talking about this temple of the Holy Spirit that he is. And now we are this temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple that has been cleared by God, set up and set apart for his use. And it says in verse 20, you are not your own. You are not your own. Jesus laid it all down. And that's the call, that's the basic foundation is when you receive Christ, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. Maybe that takes a bit of a season of getting to know God and understanding how to surrender more. But when you see what he's done for us in the cross, it comes to a place where you just lay it down. He says, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Honour God with your bodies. We had a guy a few years ago in our church come and minister. And he was in a, uh, he had a pretty tough upbringing and he'd been in a, uh, he was a male prostitute and he was um, in a gay relationship. And some Christian people just really, really loved him. And they were very kind to him. And he couldn't work out why. He was just, couldn't understand why. And, and so after uh, a little while, it started to just really get to him. And he came to Christ. Uh, he came to Jesus and he just, he said he just laid it all down. He just gave it all up because he realized the love of God that was in Jesus. He had a vision of who Jesus was and he left that lifestyle. He left it all behind. He left everything behind. And then he started to minister and testify about what God has done in his life. And he ended up getting married and having kids. And he had a, a, a pretty strong testimony of the grace of God. But when we come to Christ, the call uh, of Jesus is to take up your cross. And to follow him. Uh, and it says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Which signifies there's a cost. And the cost is one of sin. If anyone is a, anyone sins, they're a slave to sin. And to get out of sin, to get out of slavery, you actually need someone who wants to get you out. And who wants, who has the ability and who... who can do it. And this is what Jesus fulfills. He fulfills this role to be able to purchase you out. So when you get your sins set free by Christ, you step into a place where you don't own yourself anymore. Jesus comes as Lord of your life. And that's um, that's the, the foundation that we that we live with. And I have this, this old song going through my head this week, and some of the boomers might be able to help me with this one. I'm not sure if it's Baptist or Anglican, but it goes... No longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. 
out because it says live in You know, get one of them. I where I heard that when I was really young. My grandfather was an Anglican minister, and my grandmother was Nikki's grandmother. Uh, Nikki's grandmother. My grandmother was Nikki's grandmother's sister. And so it's a fantastic um, foundation that, that that generation laid out for us. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. And so when we maintain a vision or we have a vision of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, it causes us to live a little bit different to everyone else. And you see that all around the world. People have a vision. This is my vision. This is my goals. This is my dreams. And they separate themselves uh, in different ways. And, and I was talking to a bloke this week who, who runs. And he runs 7 to 10 kilometres during the week, three times a week. And then on the weekend, he does a half marathon, 20, 22 kilometres. And he trains for marathons. And he's 51 years old. And he's just integral. He just he eats. And he runs, and he sleeps, and he eats, and he runs, and he just his lifestyle is set up around his vision of marathon, uh, running marathons. And a professional athlete, they don't live like uh, like you and I live. They they really watch the diet. They train all the time. They're separated because they have a vision of winning. They want to win a race. They want to win whatever they're in, and they train really hard. Paul says. Uh, in, in chapter 9 he says you've, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race, everyone runs one wins, run to win all good athletes train hard they do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades, you're after one that's gold eternally and so here we have this vision of Jesus it says in Romans 12 it says in view of God's mercy, so when we look to Christ and we see his mercy and what he has done for us and the way that he died as us on the cross and took away our sins, it causes us to come to him and live separate from the culture, from the influences that are on our world, uh, in our world, and that we would walk in the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we are this temple of the Holy Spirit. And a temple is a place of prayer. A temple is a place of God's presence. A temple is a place of worship. A temple is a place where people come to meet with God. And now we, instead of him being boxed in, in, in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, he's now everywhere in all of us, all the time, wanting people to meet this presence. And we've just done a series on guarding your heart. And I think it's very, uh, very right that we're stepping into this temple, today's true temples, because God rests on holy hearts. God's presence rests in holy hearts that have been made clean by Jesus. And I, I love reading this Smith Wigglesworth book and he says this, you cannot expect the third person of the Trinity to come into an unclean temple. There first must be a confession of all that is wrong and a cleansing in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So the first step is to receive Christ. And the second thing is that God wants in your holy heart, he wants to place himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we stand and pray this morning.
Come on, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for, um, for sending Jesus to die on a cross. For all that work of grace that you've released to us to take away our sins, that we would know you. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that, uh, yeah, we can walk with you every day, that we can mysteriously get to know you uh, through this, this wonderful gift that you have given us. And yeah, right now I just want to ask you if you've received, if you haven't received Christ or you haven't really been walking with him, maybe now is the time just to get your heart right with God. And uh, yeah, if you're not really operating as the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, it doesn't take much to come to God. It only ever takes one step, uh, one sort of look up to sort of be real with him and look to him. And, and he wants to give you the, the most precious gift of himself, the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want to encourage you that, you know, if you haven't been instructed, if you haven't really been praying and operating as this temple, worshipping God, seeking Him, praying, uh, being what a true temple is, alive in Him, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage you to get right with God today. And, uh, just as we close this morning, you know, we're going to go and obviously have coffee. I'd love to pray with you, uh, lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit or get right with Jesus. So, yeah, we're going to sing one more song, but if you'd like me to pray for you because you need to get right with Christ and you want to operate with, with God's great gift of the Holy Spirit, then I'd uh, love to lay hands on you this morning. Father, we worship you and we just thank you for your word to us today and that you would help us to carry this, this, this sacred life that you've given us, this one life for this season or this short season that we would display your goodness and that we would just overflow with that love that you give us through your Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.